Hi, I'm Phil Morehart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this is the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Two thousand nineteen is done, and I think I speak for everyone when I say that this this has been one roller coaster every year in most every way. But one thing that remains consistent year after year, and this is actually quite comforting, I think, is the caliber of guests that the American Library Association welcomes to its conferences. People from the worlds of literature, film, TV, journalism, activism, you name it. And luckily, we here at Dewey Decibel get to talk to them. Today, on the Dewey Decibel Podcast, we end the year by looking back on some of our favorite interviews from 2019, the ones that didn't make it into our usual Dewey Decibel Podcast episodes. Conversations with Hoda Codby, Mariana Atencio, George Takei, Monda Gates, Mo Rocca, Aisha Cisse, and Sylvia Acevedo that reveal their love for libraries, books, and much more. But first, a word from a sponsor. Does your library have books? What about patrons? If so, why don't you give Shelf Care a listen? That's right. Shelf Care, the podcast, is where we talk all things readers' advisory, collection development, and other library-related bookish stuff from your pals at Booklist. Past episodes have covered horror and cookbooks and graphic novels and beach reads, and that's just the beginning. Subscribe to Shelf Care the Podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or from whence you are currently listening to our Dewey Decibel friends. That's Booklist Shelf Care the Podcast. Happy reading! Hoda Kotb is best known as one of the co-hosts of Today on NBC. But before her stint on the long-running morning news program, she was a boots-on-the-ground reporter, covering war zones and other hot spots around the world. Hoda spoke with us in Washington, D.C. this past June at ALA's annual conference about her life, her love of libraries, and growing up the daughter of a cataloger at the Library of Congress. My mom worked for 32 years at the Library of Congress. And I remember walking in just the doors of this place and thinking, wow. My mom had her degree in law. She had a law degree and a library science degree. And she chose library science. Like, that was her choice. And I understood why as we were kids growing up, because I got, we got the opportunity to see her in action, stacks of books, you know, or hands on them. Like, you couldn't believe that we were that close to all of that magic. What, um, what did she do there? She was a descriptive cataloger. And we don't know, so we don't know what she did. Nobody, <laughs> nobody really knows what that is, but she did it. And, and I just remember thinking, like, how cool it was to say that. My mom works at the Library of Congress. The Library of Congress, like, it's just super cool. There was, there was a, a library near us called Sherwood Hall, and we would go as kids. And um, there was always a library at the school that we went to, that we would go to as children. And I mean, first of all, it was just weird. We thought it was like free. We couldn't believe that something was free and that you could take a book. 
And I remember just like how it felt, holding it in your hand, taking it home, paging through it. It was your own for a couple of weeks. Like you got to hold on to it and then you returned it. And I remember thinking like all, the, all of like life's possibilities seemed to open up. Things you didn't know existed, people you didn't know, things you didn't know. And it was just sitting right there in front of you. I think most of my books are in the same lane and I just feel like everyone needs a little hand up. Like everybody needs to know like the world ain't dark. There are bright lights and bright people and amazing people out there. Like sometimes you can get overwhelmed with life. And I think we have to remember that out there and not getting all the attention and not getting all of the um, glory are the people who are really contributing to this world. And the books that I, the inspirational books I like to write are about them. It's like, it's like everyday people and how they're changing the world on their own. So when you feel bleak, like, uh-oh, is everything falling apart? You go, wait, wait a second. Let me just focus my gaze where I need to look. And those are those people. So I like that lane. I like to feel good. I mean, I, I gotta tell you, these days, I don't wanna read something that makes me not feel good. I know that it's important information, but I'd rather not. Because I feel like what goes into you becomes part of you. Like, it becomes part of your being. If you do nothing but watch The Real Housewives of whatever, that's, you will become a certain kind of person. If you read nothing but, you know, you know, really tough stuff, it'll be, become part of you. So I think life's about like kind of gatekeeping what gets in, and I try to put that in books, just put some goodness out there. Mariana Atencio is a journalist, TED Talk speaker, and award-winning news personality for NBC News and MSNBC. She spoke with us in D.C. this past June about the role the library played in her life as a grad student new to New York City from Venezuela. When I first came to America, the only place that I knew, understood what I needed to learn about the American way that had the books available so that I could amplify my reading list and improve my second language where I felt a sense of belonging was libraries. So just simply continue to exist, continue to do what librarians do in providing free Wi-Fi and textbooks, a place for immigrants to fill paperwork, job applications, resumes, they, you can get legal aid at a library, you can get arts classes, citizenship classes. I know because I took advantage of those very things when I first came to America. So continue to do what you do, librarians, please. I think it is on us, the rest of society, to promote and to talk more about the critical role that libraries and librarians play. I said it this morning, I'll say it again. We need to reclaim the sense of wonderment that we felt as kids and as immigrants when we walked into a library for the first time. And that is on us, the rest of society, to instill in children, in adults, and in the elderly. A favorite library. So when I first came to America, I went from Caracas to New York City. So for me, there's nothing like the New York Public Library because it's just such a majestic place, a place of refuge from the noise of New York and the craziness of the city, a place where you just kind of step in and everything just slows down and it gives you time to think and to 
to really regain that sense of, of self-confidence and, and the tools to move forward. George Takei is best known for his role as Sulu in the 1960s cult classic TV show Star Trek. But the actor found even more fame later in life thanks to his prolific social media presence and activist work. He joined us in D.C. to discuss his graphic novel, They Called Us Enemy, which details his childhood years spent in an internment camp for Japanese Americans during World War II, and to give us warnings about social media's dark side. I became very curious about <clears throat> my childhood imprisonment uh, when I was a teenager, and so I became uh, uh, an omnivorous uh, uh, reader. I read all the history books I could get my hands on. They were silent on the internment, my childhood imprisonment. I read civics books hoping to find something there. I didn't find anything about it in the civics books. But I learned about, I learned about the noble ideals of our democracy. And I was puzzled and so I had long discussions with my father after dinner. And I learned from my father through these after dinner discussions. Sometimes they got heated. And other times uh, I said things that I regret to this day that I said. But I learned from my father who bore the burden, the pain, and the anguish the most about American democracy. So the books were silent, except for the shining ideals uh, that I found in civics books. I learned about it in conversation with my father. That was the repository of the uh, 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 internment experience for me. It was later on that other books began to appear. And uh, the book that uh, was encyclopedic on the internment uh, experience was uh, the book titled Years of Infamy by Michi, um, Michi Weglin, uh, Years of Infamy. But when I needed books the most, they were silent. It's been my mission in life to tell the story of my uh, childhood imprisonment so that uh, we can raise the awareness on that chapter of American history to as many people as possible. There's a new generation coming up, young people, and we want to uh, have target that audience as uh, uh, the readers of uh, the story. And the best way to reach them, I mean, they're preteens to teens, they read comic books. And so I th thought a graphic memoir would be an accessible way to reach uh, these people, telling the story from the uh, eyes of a five-year-old me and leading them in and get exposed to the larger reality that my parents were struggling with. When I first discovered the power of social media, I was absolutely enamored of it. It was a way to reach people globally, like their next door neighbors, or the person you come across every day at the uh, town square. Uh, I thought it was a wonderful way of communicating, uh, certainly with my Star Trek fans. But uh, 
Then we discovered that there is a darker, uglier underbelly. People who are frustrated, angry, or racist can have equal access to that. And they may be a small voice, but social media amplifies that. And these people that have ugly thoughts are anonymous and they run wild and rampant. So it has become a, a danger to civil discourse and to civilized society, which is now starting to affect our elections as well on a grand scale. And uh, so uh, we're having, uh, uh, we're going through a time when we have to really soberly and deeply rethink uh, social media. Sylvia Acevedo has worn many hats throughout her career, engineered IBM, rocket scientist at NASA, commissioner on the White House Initiative for Education Excellence for Hispanics, and currently CEO of the Girl Scouts of the USA. We spoke with Sylvia in Seattle in January during the 2019 ALA Midwinter Meeting about libraries and civic engagement. My father loved going to the library, and so it was sort of his refuge, and he went all the time and on the weekends, and, I, and then he started taking my older brother, but he didn't take me. And I thought, well, I want to go to the library and get books, and thankfully, because of my experience with Head Start, I, I had learned to read and really uh, appreciate and love books, so I wanted to go to the library. But my father said that not only did I have to behave, but that I had to show I was responsible. So he said I had to save five dollars before I could get a library card. Now he didn't make my brother do, do that, just me. Um, so they did buy me a ceramic cat and I began saving money. And so for my birthday, I asked for money. So I remember them folding a dollar bill and putting it into that cat. And so it was just so important for me to, you know, be able to save the $5 so I could go to the library and my father would take me along with my brother. And, you know, so that was the really big motivation. You know, it was a really interesting thing. I had worked in technology and I did a startup and we had a successful exit. And I was at this moment when I was thinking, what am I gonna do next? And somebody from Stanford who was doing a research project called me. And they said, we wanna reach out to you because you're one of the first male or female Hispanics to have ever gotten your graduate engineering degree and you're still one of the few. And so they asked me, how was it? How was it? Because at that time, Stanford wasn't even recruiting in Las Cruces, New Mexico. So how did all this happen? And the more they talked about how I got my interest in science and math, which was incredibly atypical at the time, I realized it all harkened back to Girl Scouts and looking at the stars and the support that I got from my troop leader and encouraging me to not only earn a cooking badge, to earn a science badge. And then learning that I could be a problem solver and that I really couldn't just do science, that I actually liked it, and I began loving math and science. Libraries are civic institutions, and for a lot of people, stepping into the library is their first civic engagement. Because to create public libraries, the citizens have to come together and say, we're going to create this space. So walking in to a library is an exercise in civic engagement. And Girl Scouts, that is one of our bedrock 
fundamental beliefs is in civic engagement. And we teach girls how to be civically involved all the way from age five all the way to age 18, their entire Girl Scout career. And as a result, more than half of all female elected officials in America were Girl Scouts. Just recently, 60% of the new you know, congressional elected officials, they were Girl Scouts. I mean, so we're less than 8% of the population, but we have this massive outreach and outcomes. And libraries are a manifestation of our civic beliefs. And so it's such a great partnership. Former CNN International correspondent, Aisha Cisse is founder of Women Everywhere Can Lead, an organization that supports education and empowers girls in Africa, and she's the author of Beneath the Tamarind Tree, the first definitive account of Boko Haram's abduction of the Chibok schoolgirls. She spoke with us in Seattle about libraries, growing up in Sierra Leone, and her wish for people everywhere to read widely. Growing up in Sierra Leone, there was a public library there, and I remember just the sense of freedom of being able to go and just go through the different, you know, shelves and find books that I could take home and devour across a weekend. And I've always loved libraries. I just have always loved them. They're, they're safe spaces. They're magical places. And um, I, I was very fortunate to go to Trinity College, Cambridge, that has an incredible library, the Wren Library, which is a beautiful as a space just to, to look at and I spent lots of time in there. I'm not going to tell you that I spent a lot of time studying in there because that would be a lie but I did really like the space and, and, and the way it, it, it draws you in and expands your mind so I, I've always loved them. I mean, what I really want to see people do is read widely. What I really want them to, to do is read beyond their obvious um, inclinations or their um, uh, their camps, if you will. I think what we have too readily now is everything's in silos, right? So people are like, this is what I believe in, and I don't want to, to read anything else beyond that. I only want, it's like almost preaching to the converted. I only want to read or watch what confirms my bias. And what I'd really like to see is people read widely. I'd really like to see people take chances and open their minds and read not just, you know, online, but go to libraries, buy books, read newspapers, and just entertain different voices and opinions. Because I think with a fuller knowledge, a fuller picture, it will be much easier to weed between fact and fiction. Emmy winner Mo Rocca is a correspondent for CBS Sunday Morning, a panelist on NPR's quiz show Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and the host of Henry Ford's Innovation Nation on Saturday mornings. He's also very funny. We spoke with Mo in D.C. where he shared his love of reference books, encyclopedias, and world capitals. Well, I used to go to... Um Little Falls Library, which is a little library around the corner from my house. Um, and it's interesting, the downstairs was for kids. I haven't thought about this in a long time. The downstairs was for kids. The upstairs um, was for adults, for grown-ups. And um, I think I was a pretty precocious kid. So I was supposed to be down in the kids section and felt exciting to venture up into the grown-up section. Um, I would spend a lot of time in the reference section. I loved memorizing facts. Um, I had a World Book Encyclopedia set at home, which I cherished, a 1974 World Book Encyclopedia set that I brought with me, I still have in my bedroom now. Um, 
So Gerald Ford is still president as far as I'm concerned, right, according to that encyclopedia. Um, but um, uh, I, I think I, it, you know, the reference section for me was where kind of um, my thoughts took flight. And I would imagine by looking at an almanac, going to a different country, you know, traveling all over the world. And um, so, yeah, so it was a place of fantasy. Um, but yeah, reference books were the things that I loved. I used to love to go home and lie on my stomach on the red carpet in the family room and page through the world book and read the facts in brief. I just loved that. Population densities, leading industries, exports. Um, I still know the capital of every country in the world. You can test me if you want. Throw out the name of a country, like right now. Just capital of Sri Lanka is Colombo. I got that right, right? It's not Nicosia. That's, that's correct. Okay, thanks. Co-chair of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Melinda Gates has dedicated her life to achieving transformational improvements in the health and prosperity of families, communities, and societies. Core to her work is empowering women and girls to help them realize their full potential, which she outlines in her book, The Moment of Lift. She joined us in Seattle to discuss the importance of libraries as community connectors and much more. So libraries are one of the places that we connect as a community and they help us share our stories, they protect our stories, they pass our stories along and it's our stories that bind us together. And I feel that libraries are the place that really open our mind. That was true for me when I was a little girl. As I go out and travel the world, not just in the US, but in other places and you go in libraries, it's where people are coming for information. They're expanding their mind. And so I feel that libraries are the place that we need to hear one another's stories and come together and then learn and grow and flourish. And particularly it's important to do that so that we hear women's stories and we hear people's stories of color and we change the world on their behalf. When I was growing up, um, the Dallas Public Library was not that far from my house and my mom would often take, almost weekly, uh, my sister and my two brothers and I, and we'd go through those doors of the Dallas Public Library and you know there'd be that hushed tone in there. And I just, I loved the whole scent of the library. And I loved, you know, the index cards where you could zip through them, even though librarians hated that. And I loved that whole stamping of the books. You know, it was so satisfying to hear that sound. But what I, what I loved about the library is the whole smell and look and feel of it, but also for myself, that I could almost see myself growing without realizing it. You know, when you'd move from the section of the library where, as a child, I read Roald Dahl, and later I read Judy Bloom, and later I read Flaubert. You know, it was broadening my horizon without me even realizing it at the time. And so I have hugely fond memories of that library and many others in my life. Well, I think we should celebrate libraries definitely this particular week, National Libraries Week, but also the whole year because they are the place that the community gathers. They are the place that we provide equal access to information. The most recent time, just in the last five months, I was in the Seattle Public Library. And what I loved about it is you walk through the door and it's all walks of life, sitting there either between the shelves or at a table or at the, at the um, computers getting information. And so it's where our communities come together and we meet one another and we learn and grow from that. And I think libraries are vital to all of our communities. 
I titled my book The Moment of Lift because I feel like we're in this moment where, you know, I use the metaphor in the book, uh, like the Apollo launches that I watched from a little girl, that, you know, the engines have been ignited, the earth is shaking and rumbling. And we have this moment because of the Me Too movement that we can either lift up all women and really change the course of humanity, or we can let that not happen and not use that moment of lift. And I believe that we need to use all of our collective will and our lift of our voices to help make sure that women and people of color reach their full place in society. I think we can do that by using our voice, using our advocacy, using our time, our money, our energy. You know, start by looking in our own homes and say, do we have full equality with our partnership at home if we have a partner? Do we have full equality in our communities? Are we using our voice on behalf of women? In our workplace, are we speaking up if a woman's voice is cut off at the table or if we see gender discrimination or we don't see equal pay? Are we making sure that all women come forward and participate in society fully with their full voice and that they're actually lifting themselves up and able to completely thrive and reach their potential? That wraps another episode and year of the Dewey Decimal Podcast. Join us next month as we prepare for ALA's 2020 Midwinter Meeting in Philadelphia by talking to Philly librarians, restaurateurs, and more about things to do while visiting the city of brotherly love during midwinter. In the meantime, if you need to find us, hit Twitter, American Library's Facebook page, or you can email me directly at pmorehart at ala.org. Show ideas, praise, complaints, anything at all, we want to hear from you. As always, I'm Phil Moorhart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, and this is the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Mm-hmm.